From the History Yogi podcast, this is Dave. The five power defense arrangements turn 50 this year. However, the FPDA, which brings together Singapore, Malaysia, Australia, New Zealand, and the United Kingdom, is little known by the public and even by non-defense officials. Today, we speak to Dr. Ewan Graham, Senior Fellow for Asia-Pacific Security at the International Institute for Strategic Studies, on the FPDA's history, its relevance to the defense interests of member countries, and the challenges it faces given the rapid changes to the region's strategic environment. Thanks so much, Ian, for joining me today. So let's start with the first question. What are the five power defense arrangements and why was the FPDA established? Well, hi, Deb. It's, um, it's great to be with you and uh, I'm happy to be part of this discussion. Uh, the five power defense arrangements are an unusual set of arrangements. They are Southeast Asia's only standing multilateral defense agreement and their origins are buried in the, uh, the Anglo-Malayan Defence Agreement, which was a, a legacy arrangement, essentially, which was designed to, the FPDA was a legacy a, a arrangement, which was, the purpose was to give a, a transition period for newly independent Singapore and uh, Malaysia to develop their own defence capabilities. So, the UK was the, the former colonial power, obviously, but uh, it also brought in Australia and New Zealand as external powers, which uh, had a, a long-standing military presence and strategic interest uh, in the security of the Malayan Peninsula, and um, basically put that together in, in one unique format, where you have the five powers all basically committed to the security and defense of the peninsula. It started in 1971, and um, that date was uh, uh, significant because this was in the midst of a, a rather rapid drawdown of UK uh, military uh, assets uh, east of Suez. It's often referred to as uh, the East of Suez decision in the late 1960s, where the UK basically under financial pressure uh, could no longer support a, a global network of military bases and started to draw down in Singapore and uh, and Malaysia were one of, one of the areas that suffered a, a, a reduction as a result. The far uh, eastern military command shut its, uh, its doors for the final uh, time late in 1971 and the FPDA was meant to be an important symbol of uh, continuing UK commitment, also from Australia and New Zealand, but to give a kind of glide path for the newly emerging countries, Malaysia and Singapore, to stand on their own feet, particularly in air defence. That was always a, a long-standing military focus, but as we'll talk about later, that's become uh, broader in, in recent decades. What are some of the FPDA's key provisions? Well, the, the FPDA is um, institutionally, it's quite well developed. It has consultative council, policy group, and an activities coordinating committee. So I think compared to some of the intra-ASEAN defense arrangements, it's quite evolved. The core commitment is essentially around 
an agreement to consult in case of an armed attack occurring on Singapore or Malaysia. But there is a significant caveat to that, which is it applies geographically to the, the peninsula. So there is a, a bit of a gray zone in terms of the FPDA's coverage of East Malaysia uh, on Borneo. Um, so that's an interesting sort of sub-question to the, the geographical coverage of, of the FPDA, because Malaysia is obviously one country. So it, it's interesting that that limitation exists. We can also talk a bit more about that later on. An agreement to consult is less than a guarantee to defend. So you probably uh, have picked up on that, but uh, it, it is, it, it's not the same as uh, a NATO-style Article 5 commitment or an Article 5 commitment of the United States to defend Japan in case of attack. It's, a, it's an agreement to consult, no more and no less. But on the other hand, if our listeners are saying, well, that doesn't mean very much. The language for the United States-Australia alliance is actually the same. It's an agreement to consult. So with these arrangements, and I think that's also a significant word, these, it's not an agreement, it's a set of arrangements. So there's a, it implies a level of informality, but nonetheless, it does draw a direct connection between the defense of peninsular Malaysia and Singapore to those three external countries. And that's, I think, a key uh, security uh, benefit for Malaysia and Singapore in that it, it ties those Australia, New Zealand, and the United Kingdom to their defense and security. There's an ambiguity around that, but there's always an ambiguity around any kind of uh, commitment, whether it's a formal alliance or something, as in this case, more informal. But if you put yourself in the mind of a potential aggressor, then it raises the question, will I have to consider the response of Australia, New Zealand, and the United Kingdom if I were to attack Singapore and Malaysia? I think that is undoubtedly the case. And that's why I think it has such an enduring appeal to the two Southeast Asian countries at the heart of it. Uh, you mentioned earlier about air defence. What does the FPDA do in this regard? Well, that's a good, a good question. Uh, at the heart of the, the operational part of the five power defence arrangements uh, is the uh, integrated area defence system. It was originally the integrated uh, air defence system, but it's been expanded in recent decades. But uh, that is the operational heart of the FPDA. And it's located in Butterworth Air Base, which is uh, a Malaysian facility, but access is extended to the five powers in Butterworth and physically located there. There is a, a senior Royal Australian Air Force uh, Air Vice Marshal, a two-star position, and his staff who are responsible for coordinating the integrated uh, air defence. Uh, which ex exists in parallel to those of Malaysia and Singapore. So it, it's not a, a standalone uh, commitment, but rather it's, it's a complementary operational capability. But that is the core of the defence commitment uh, under the FPDA. For many decades after it was uh, put in place, there were Australian fighter aircraft that were also based up 
on in in Butterworth. Uh, they left in the the late 19, the late nineteen eighties, and since then, uh, only periodic detachments of uh, of, uh, of fast jets go to Butterworth. But it is used more frequently uh, for surveillance flights uh, out of there. It becomes a bit complicated at that point because there are also bilateral arrangements between Australia uh, and uh, and Malaysia, uh, which are uh, outside of the FPDA. But the FPDA, the IADS, as it's known, the acronym, the Integrated Area Defence System, uh, that is the the core of it. And there's also a a small ground Australian presence just to provide some perimeter security uh, up there in the form of a a company which is um, which is uh, based in Malaysia. So there is a, a permanent overseas presence, and um, the air the air defence aspect is is still important to the exercises that the FPDA does. So this is not just an on paper uh, set of arrangements. There are regular exercises that take place over the mainly the east coast of uh, of Peninsula Malaysia. And um, air defence is a is a regular part of that, but all other services have become integrated within that. So you have navies exercising together, and for that matter, ground forces. Um, there is a set of amphibious exercises that will be taking place later this year uh, under the five powers. So it's grown up from the original limited commitment, but the core focus, and this is something that we see in official statements from the five power defense ministers themselves, the core focus remains on conventional war fighting. So that, again, may sound strange to our listeners uh, who are more used to thinking in terms of threats, in terms of terrorism or, or humanitarian disasters or piracy or, or these other things. Now, the FPDA has taken on board some of those non-conventional security challenges, but at its core, it remains an arrangement that is there to provide a basic level of uh, operational capability with conventional warfare as its basis. You mentioned the role of um, Australia earlier. So how instrumental were Australia, New Zealand and the UK in supporting the FPDA in the early years? And what were the benefits for Singapore and Malaysia then and now? Well, Australia is close in relative terms compared to uh, the United Kingdom, I think that that counts. The integrated area defence system has always been headed by a senior Australian Air Force officer. Uh, so that's a, an important symbol of continuity and commitment that shows that Australia is at, at the heart of these arrangements. I, I wouldn't want to make a sweeping judgment that Australia is more important, however, than the UK or, or New Zealand. I mean, this is a, an equal multilateral uh, agreement and um, agreement is reached through consensus amongst the, the five powers. But nonetheless, in relative terms, Australia's military capability has continued to uh, modernize, whereas that particularly of New Zealand has not kept pace. So uh, Australia counts for more in, in that sense that uh, particularly at the high end of air defense, it has top-line capabilities which are on a par with, with those of the United States. That also applies to the UK, but the, the UK is further away and, and has other 
local and global commitments, and its military has, in relative terms, declined, especially since the Cold War. So I think the some of the slack has been uh, taken up by, by Australia. And it's important to keep that geographical point in mind, because it gets to your question, what's, what's in it for Australia? Well, the Malayan Peninsula has always been seen, I think, as important as a kind of outer perimeter for Australia's defence. And that goes all the way back to 1941-1942, when Australia had troops and took part, of course, in the the, the failed defence of Singapore. That's always there as an important you know, psychological reminder, but it's also a, a, a geographical reminder that um, geography doesn't change and that um, Australia still takes the defence of, of the uh, Indonesian archipelago and the Malaysian archipelago as part of its northern maritime approaches. So it's here because there is it sees a direct connection to its its own security, even though Australia is is, is rather far away. What's in it for Australia, New Zealand, and and the UK? Well, they also have access to two important Southeast Asian countries that are strategically located uh, next to the Malacca Strait, which is a, a byword for uh, for trade and maritime connectivity, and important because it's the closest point of connection between the South China Sea and the Indian Ocean. So for commercial reasons and for strategic reasons, it's a very important waterway. That is the basis of much of Singapore's success and importance over its history. That that was the founding rationale for, for Singapore way back to 1819. And, and again, geography doesn't change. So it's important for for the external countries that they have the ability to access uh, the uh, defence establishments of Singapore and Malaysia, and also they can operate their uh, aircraft and ships and some small ground attachments here. We will see this year later a visit of a, a British aircraft carrier for the first time in many years, and that's not only about the FPDA, but the FPDA will be an important part of it. And when it comes, it will visit Singapore. And that will underline, I think, the importance of those uh, access uh, arrangements. The second part of your question was what's in it for Singapore and, and Malaysia. And I appreciate that's more important, I think, for your, your audience of Singaporeans, especially. I think that the, the core importance is that it, it ties their defense and security to three significant outside countries. It's always good to have friends and to have friends with, uh, with significant capabilities of their own increases their sense of, of confidence. It's not the only set of defense arrangements that Singapore has. Uh, Singapore also has a close defense arrangement uh, with the United States, which I think people are, are more obviously aware of because the United States is, is still the preeminent military global power. But the five power defense arrangements, although it gets less publicity, is significant. As I said at the top, it's the only multilateral defense arrangement in Southeast Asia. And ultimately, if there were to be an act of aggression against either Singapore or, or Malaysia, it, it has a significant chance that you will have Australia, New Zealand, and the UK committed 
to its defense. That's not a guarantee, but as I said, it's certainly enough to raise the question in the mind of any potential aggressor. The other point, which, which is a subtle one and interesting, is the relationship between Malaysia and Singapore has not always been smooth, and the FPDA has also served as a channel of communication when there are periods of tension between uh, the two countries. That is, uh, it, it, it's not usually public, but I think it is an important part of the importance of the FPDA for the two countries involved, that there is a, a high-level channel between military professionals and their defense establishments on both sides that keeps them in a line of communication so that it, if there are political obstacles in the relationship, that um, nonetheless, they can continue to talk on, um, on, on an open channel at a high military level. That matters less now than I think it did in the 1980s or 1990s when there were regular disagreements, but we still do have periods of, of bilateral friction between Malaysia and Singapore. So I think that's, that's still an enduring function of, of the five power defense arrangements is that it helps Malaysia and Singapore to talk to each other. The FPDA turns 50 this year. What are its challenges moving forward? Well, one of the re reasons I'm glad that you've um, dedicated this episode to the five power defense arrangements is I think one obvious challenge is not many people know about it in the countries involved. That's true in Singapore and, and um uh, and Malaysia, it's certainly true in, in um, the United Kingdom and Australia and in New Zealand. But the 50th anniversary provides, I think, a, a peg to, to answer that challenge. Uh, and we've seen defence ministers unusually issuing a, a joint statement late last year, which I think was an attempt to raise the public profile. Uh, it's important that it's not just only the the militaries that um, maintain this agreement with each other, ultimately uh, there has to be a level of political support from the, the governments involved. And I think that's been uh, a subtle challenge for the, for the FPDA over time. We see, naturally enough, the commitment level of the countries uh, fluctuates over, over time. Uh, there have been periods when uh, the United Kingdom uh, has looked elsewhere, particularly as it's struggled to maintain uh, a global military footprint. Uh, but I think interest in the UK is increasing because with the departure of the UK from the EU, Brexit, uh, the UK is now looking more globally. In fact, just two days ago, uh, there was a major defence and foreign policy review uh, which committed the UK to a so-called tilt to the Indo-Pacific and the FPDA is an important seat at the table for the UK. You know, the UK wants to have dialogue status with uh, ASEAN, but I think that that might be a, a difficult challenge to do, certainly in the short term. But the FPDA is, is there already. It doesn't have to be reinvented, and it gives a significant role and, um, and brings two uh, important Southeast Asian countries uh, to the table with the, with the UK as, as well. I think for Australia, the most interesting comparison relationship is uh, that with Indonesia. We haven't talked about that, but the FPDA also came into being shortly after the period of confrontation and when uh, there was a low-level conflict 
in which Malaysia and Singapore were directly um, targeted uh, by, by Indonesia. You know, this is still a sensitive question to, to this day, uh, even though relationships have, uh, rad have dramatically improved, that was part of the function of the FPDA. If we're talking about external threats to Malaysia and Singapore, uh, the two countries in their foundational period when they reached independence were, were in, uh, in the midst of this war where you also had United Kingdom, Australia and New Zealand all providing troops to an ongoing conflict. So I think the, the, the relationship with Indonesia is, is a, an important one for all of the countries. For Australia, I think when the Indonesia relationship is positive, uh, maybe there's a tendency to pay less attention to the, the FPDA. But I think the, the lesson of recent years is that um, the, the, the relationship with Indonesia tends to go up and down in, in a, a, a bit of a roller coaster ride. Uh, the FPDA, in its low key way, uh, is an important source of ballast because uh, it remains. Uh, Singapore and Malaysia uh, have not questioned their membership over 50 years. Uh, they see continuing value in it. So it, it's, always, it's always there. Indonesia has observed some of the uh, five power defense arrangement uh, exercises in recent years. So I think that's also important that they don't feel uh, threatened by it or that it's something that's targeted at them. But on the other hand, I don't think there's any appetite to expand the membership of the five power defense arrangements to other countries in Southeast Asia. I think bottom line for Singapore and uh, Malaysia, they value the commitment to their defense and they don't want to dilute that. What about the um, interoperability issues? The level of military capability varies quite significantly amongst the five powers. Uh, and over that 50 year period, we've seen that the United Kingdom and Australia obviously re retain first class military capabilities, especially in the, in the aerial domain. Uh, I think the big shift has been uh, the improvement of Singapore's defense capabilities from zero in 1965 to a point where they compare very favorably uh, with any frontline defense capability and also with a very strong air force and, and air defense capability of its own. Those three, I think, are the, the most capable. Malaysia and New Zealand have not kept pace with the same level of modernization. Their defense capabilities have declined in relative terms. Uh, so I think there is a, a potential risk of a, a three plus two tiering within the FPDA where Malaysia and Singapore are not able to take part in the higher end level of, of capabilities to this to the extent that they that they did previously. New Zealand actually had a, a full battalion in Singapore until the late 1980s. Uh, now it, it does still take part and sends ships, but it doesn't have a fast jet capability of its own anymore. It hasn't had for about 20 years. So there's a very significant reversal of roles there. Singapore is, is now far more capable in military terms uh, than New Zealand, despite their, their, their contrasting size, that's the reality. So I think that that is an issue for the long-term future uh, of the FPDA, that it has to adapt to that um, variability of capability to ensure that there is still 
bottom common denominator that allows the defense forces to, to, to work with each other and to derive benefit from working with each other. There are various ways in which you can do that, though. I think the importance of, of Malaysia, more than anything else, is really in the access that it gives. That, that operational part of the FPDA remains based in, uh, in Butterworth, near, near Penang in Malaysia. Singapore does offer its own access to, uh, to defence facilities, which are open to five-power defence um, arrangement countries. But size is always uh, limited in Singapore's case. Malaysia is, is a bigger country, so I think it will uh, continue to be important. And strategic geography also means that, that, as I said, for countries like Australia, making sure that uh, Malaysia is capable of defending itself from any external aggression is important to, to their own security. So I think they will continue to value the uh, the interoperability, but it will only get worse, I think, over time because um, Singapore, the UK, and Australia are all pulling ahead. We see that they all operate the F-35, the fifth generation frontline aircraft. New Zealand has no fast jet capability and, and Malaysia's air force is, is old and has no replacement for its frontline fighters uh, coming down the pipeline. So. It, it, it's going to require a, an imaginative approach so that there is still you know, a basic e equality of effort amongst the five powers. I guess the final question that I have is, does the FPDA have a role to play in ongoing geopolitical tensions such as the South China Sea dispute? Well, I think this is a sensitive question for Singapore and, and Malaysia because they are adjacent to the South China Sea. And uh, in the case of Malaysia, it is one of the disputing parties that claims island territory in the South China Sea. So you could say that there is direct value for, for Malaysia, but I think that is overrided by the fact that um, they also don't want to create extra tension with China in, in particular, which is obviously the, the big balance of power factor uh, in, in Southeast Asia. And as China has moved uh, more aggressively uh, in the South China Sea in, in, in recent years, we've seen that uh, it's becoming much more uncomfortable for, for Southeast Asian uh, countries to maintain their own uh, integrity and space in the South China Sea. I think that the five power defense arrangements is it survived because uh, in some ways it has never raised its, its head above the parapet too visibly and uh, attracted political sensitivity. So I think there would be a, a prevailing caution uh, amongst the five powers about wanting to directly take on the South China Sea role. And uh, Singapore and Malaysia would probably be the most cautious of all. But for UK and, uh, and Australia, they also have an, a strong interest in make, making sure that freedom of navigation and overflight are respected in the South China Sea. That's where the major exercises take place. And um, the UK will send uh, an aircraft carrier through the South China Sea later this year. Australia sends its ships and aircraft through on a, on a regular basis. 
and of course Singapore and uh, and Malaysia. That's their back their maritime backyard, um, main, maintaining the South China Sea open for for trade and for military access is uh, of vital importance to both of them. And for Malaysia, the South China Sea divides the, the two part, key parts of their territory. So on Borneo, so the South China Sea is, is always going to be a significant existential concern for the unity of the country. But I don't think they will, they will want to bring the South China Sea formally within the remit of what the, uh, the five power defense arrangement agrees to defend. I think indirectly, however, that is part of the continuing importance. The FPDA is based on conventional warfighting capability. Uh, if there is going to be a conventional war in future in this region, there is a, a significant chance that the South China Sea would be the flashpoint that, that starts that. So I think it's a del delicate balance between not wanting to you know, raise the profile and uh, attract the official anger of China by, by bringing the South China Sea uh, into the five power defense arrangements. But implicitly, it's already there. That's where the five power defense arrangements exercise and air defense and uh, uh, naval navigation is always going to take place uh, in the southern part of the South China Sea. And we've seen that's where incidents are increasingly occurring. Malaysia is finding that um, Chinese Coast Guard vessels and naval vessels are cropping up uh, more regularly uh, within its exclusive economic zone. So I think that's it's going to it's going to put itself on the agenda, like it or not. I think that's going to be a challenge for the politicians of the five countries because you've asked the sensible, obvious question that it will occur to most people. Um, what is the potential risk for a, a war that could involve Singapore and Malaysia? The South China Sea is one obvious contingency. And the five power defense arrangements to maintain their relevance also have to answer that question. But I don't think they will try and answer it in direct terms.